I'm really looking forward to First Peter. And what I want to do is to set the tone of why did Peter write this book? What's the purpose of First Peter? And, and let's, let's get a, a, an idea of what Peter is trying to do with all of us as we take a look through this book. Uh, but first of all, let me just uh, start this book by, by making a statement of who we are as a body of believers. What, what do we stand for? So this is a good time to kind of think about that. Uh, our, our goal here at this church is, is it will never waver, not, not a bit. And that is we want to preach through the Bible expositionally, word by word, line upon line. In the process, what we want to do is to take you and me into a deeper relationship with our Lord, which, by the way, can only be accomplished through a deeper understanding of the Word of God, period. In, in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah, the 8th chapter, the 8th verse, is a, a statement of my goal in ministry. Um, this is what Ezra and, and out of Nehemiah said. They, they read from the book. This is Nehemiah 8.8. 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, and they were translating to give sense so that they understood the reading. Our purpose as a church is to strive to give you, each one of you individually, a sense of God's Word so that you too may understand what the Bible is saying to you in that time, in that place. That's why we ask you to have your own Bibles. That's why we ask you to turn to First Peter so that you can open up your Bibles, see that we are studying word upon word, and you can kind of get a glimpse and understanding of what is God saying to you. And that's our purpose. We study together as a group of people so that you, you, may truly hear God speak to you. Not to your wife as much as she might need it. Not to your husband as much as he might need it. Not to your kids. Kids, not to your parents. But that God speaks to you. I want to give you a, a little hint about studying the Bible. When you read the Bible, if you start reading the Bible and you come to a place and you say, boy, that, that, that guy, boy, he really needs that. He really needs that. I, I offer you this. Stop. Stop. Ask God to forgive you about thinking about the other person and start to realize that God wants to speak to you through His Word. And this Word is written so that you and I will be conformed into the image of Christ. And so if you get into the Bible and you start thinking about how the other guy is a jerk or, or needs this, stop. Ask the Lord to show you what you need for that moment. You see, we want you to hear from God here at this church so that you, you alone, may respond to His truth, so that you, you alone, become the person of God that He has intended you to be, so that you and I, we would be conformed into the image of God's Son. So obviously, God's people needs to understand His Word. That demands a knowledge of this, the Word of truth. Paul said to a man that he led to Christ, a young man who was pastoring a church named Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul said these words to Timothy. He said, Timothy, I want you to be diligent. In other words, I want you to study hard. I want you to study long so as to present yourselves, yourself approved to God. I want you, Timothy, to be a workman. 
I don't want you to be ashamed. I want you to handle accurately the word of truth. Now, not all of us are going to be pastors. But my goal is for you to have that same heartbeat. I want you to be diligent. I want you to present yourselves to the Lord. I want you to be a good workman who is who is uh, doesn't need to be ashamed of, of, of understanding the Bible, but you could handle accurately the word of truth. It's my desire for you as well as for myself. My goal is what Paul taught in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, I want the word of Christ to dwell richly within you with all wisdom. That's my desire for you as it is for me. And so the thrust of my life, the thrust of my ministry, the thrust of this church is to help make God's word come alive, which is the only really true way you and I can be conformed into the image of Christ. I'm cautious about saying this. I had a real, had a real enjoyable time the first service, needless to say. I loved it. Gosh, I haven't asked permission of this. But someone just new to our church, had never been here before, came to me. She and her husband and their, 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 their son. They're filled with tears, just filled with tears. And as you're going to see in a while, I'm going to make mention of how some churches will try to put us under some sort of a burden about the things that we're going through that we don't have enough faith to stop it. We don't have enough faith to make things perfect, better. With enough faith, you know, you'll hear these guys on television or on the radio. If you're not careful, be careful who you listen to because you'll hear them say the most outlandish lies. With enough faith, you won't have to have to go through trials. That's not true. That's a lie. We'll all go through trials. We'll all go through difficulties. And this dear woman came to me and she said, I had but all but given up on God. My husband and I decided to come to this church. Don't know who you are. Never heard you before. She said, but the word of God spoke to me and I realized that I have been wrong. That I had turned my back on God because I didn't think I had enough faith in what I was going through. It's really interesting. I want you and me to be able to handle accurately. Handle accurately the word of truth. Because it is in and of itself the only thing that will really set you and or others free. And so the, the dominant purpose of this church is to make God's Word alive to you as it was in the first service. By the way, another person came up and said almost the same thing. It's amazing to me. Now I want us to turn to 1 Peter, if you have in your Bibles. 1 Peter is uh, to the right of Romans. I'm sure by now you know where Romans is. Well, turn to the right of Romans. If not, go to the very last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, and turn to the left. And you'll go past uh, uh, Jude and, and first, second, third, third, second, and first John. Then you'll hit Second Peter, then First Peter. If you go the other way from Romans, you'll go to the book of Hebrews and then James, and you'll see First Peter. Stop there with me and let's take a look in a moment. But first let's pray. Dear Father, what a privilege it has been to, uh, to be a part of, of uh, this church and what took place this week with the children of our church. But not just the kids, Father. It, 
it encompassed all the, the adults that were involved. It, it, it really impacted so many of us. And as Angie said just a while ago, that this, this, this sanctuary right here was filled with young people. Every seat was taken. Some of them were sitting on the floor. And Father, we have this privilege of reaching out to our community. Thank you for this building. Thank you for this place. Now, Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law. Would you teach us, Father, as only you can? Would, would, would our purpose as a church come true, Father? And that is that each individual here would hear you speak to them so that they may respond to your truth. I pray that you'd move me aside so that I don't, I don't interfere with any of that, Father. If you wish to use me, thank you. So be it. Father, I do not mind being out of the way so that we can clearly hear and see your heart. So bless us, Lord. Thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The theme of First Peter is suffering. Suffering. For instance... The suffering when this book was written in Rome began when Nero burnt down Rome to the ground in 64 A.D. He needed a scapegoat, Nero did. So the Christians seemed to fit his need perfectly. The Romans at that time viewed Christians as godless. Reason being, because they rejected, the Christians did, their small gods, plural. They rejected them, and they followed after Jesus Christ. But the Romans, who did not know better, reasoned that he was just some man that died upon a cross some three or four decades ago. They knew very little about him. So Christians became Nero's perfect scapegoat in all of his ills. And according to the second century historian Tacitus, I believe is his name, Nero blamed Christians for the fires in Rome. And so what Nero did was devious. He would take Christians, he would wrap them in wax, and he would put them on a stake and use them for, for torches and light during the night in his gardens or around the city. Other Christians he took and, and he would put them in an arena and he would put wild animals in the arena and for entertainment the people of Rome would watch the animals devour the Christians. In all of this, Nero murdered thousands of believers in Jesus Christ while in Rome. And so naturally what they did, the Christians, was scattered. They left. They got out of Rome and who could blame them? So they went to places of safety, places far away from the suffering that they were experiencing in Rome. And what Peter does in writing this letter is to try to comfort them. He says in, in I almost said Roman, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he writes to those who are scattered across the land, whom he calls aliens. Aliens meaning fellow believers. Aliens because, let's face it, this place is not our home. It's not their home. Rome wasn't their home. Neither was 
Pontus or Galatia or Cappadocia or Asia or any place that they scurried to, they were aliens on this earth, just as you and I are. And so Peter says, read with me, verse 1 of chapter 1, he introduces himself. He says, Peter, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that you may obey Jesus Christ, be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Peter is writing to those who have left Rome and those who are still in Rome to comfort them in the midst of their trials. You and I are more than likely going through some difficulties. If you're not, then we need you to help those of us who are going through difficulties. And hold on, because in due time, we will be helping you go through your difficulty. We all do. It's not just limited to Christians. It, it's, there's suffering in this world in which we live. This is not a part of my notes. This is just a part of our world. Have you, do you watch see what's going on in our world today? It's getting to be amazing. The Bible talks about in the last days that that Russia and China will gather together. There will be this great battle called Armageddon. We see what's happening in, the, in, in Europe right now. We see what's happening all over the world. see what's happening in, in, in Israel. My goodness, we see what's happening here in the United States of America. I mean, let's be real. Uh, there's been so many scandals, one after another after another. And where are the people? Where are the people who we've called to govern this great land of ours? Where is the integrity for someone to stand up and say, Enough! Enough! What's going on? We've got to put a stop to this stuff. That's not a part of my message. That's me venting. I, I got a, a great text or email from Wayne this, this week concerning this world in which we live and I wrote him back kind of facetiously and said, boy, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, he's missing a great opportunity. It just seems like everything is boiling, getting to a bubbling, boiling point. And what made me think of that during the week is how you and I walk with Christ. If ever there's a time that we need to stand up, be obedient, and really be a light in this dark world in which we are now living, it's now. We need to stand up for what we believe. First Peter is going to be a great book. It's going to take us through times of, of trials, of difficulties. And what First Peter, what Peter is going to do is comfort you and me in our times of woe. Over the existence of the church, I'm back in my notes now if you'll say Believers are, have been no strangers to suffering. You see, the kingdom of darkness, Satan, and the children of God's light, believers, inevitably are going to come to that place of conflict. For in truth, this place that is called earth is not our home. As, as Peter clearly said, we are aliens. And God has temporarily given Satan limited control over what is going on here in this earth. Why, I don't know, but that's his plan. Therefore, opposition, rejection, scorn, contempt, persecution, yes, even martyrdom, has been the lot of believers throughout the years. And Jesus said, 
This not ought to catch you, or catch you off guard. This is a part of our lives. Our Lord said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, He said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a slave above his master. He says it is enough for the disciple that they become like their teacher and the slave become like their master. Then he says, If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub. In other words, Jesus is referring to himself. If they've called me Satan or the prince of demons, which they did, then he said, how much more are they going to malign the members of his household, namely you and me? So this is an expectation in our lives that persecution will come our way. Trials will come our way. Difficulties will come our way. Peter wants you and me to handle it. Handle it with, with grace. I will show you in a moment. That the evil world system vents its fury on the church and on believers should not surprise any one of us. It's how they treated our Lord, and they will certainly treat us that way as well. So, Peter writes in 1 Peter, the book we're in, in the fourth chapter, we'll get to that eventually, Verse 12, he writes this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. No, we all are going to go through it. Our Lord Jesus Christ said basically the same thing in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. No, they hated him. They're going to hate us. Isaiah, before the birth of Jesus Christ, predicted that the Messiah that was coming was going to be despised. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, he said he would be forsaken of men. He would be a man of sorrows, Isaiah wrote, acquainted with grief. He was despised, and mankind did not esteem him, Isaiah wrote. Consequently, when Jesus Christ walked this earth, he told the disciples, and for you and me to read, that he was going to suffer, was going to be killed, and that he would rise again from the dead three days later. He wrote in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, these words, Jesus began to show his disciples that he would go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. These are the religious leaders of their day. And he would be killed and then he would be raised up on the third day. One of my favorite places in Scripture, favorite because it was a place that kind of moved me into believing in Jesus Christ, of finally making that step of saying, yes, Lord, come into my heart. In the book of John, the first chapter, I remember the fellow gave me a Bible. Uh, it was a living Bible. And he said, read out of the book of John. And I said, okay. So I was in Hawaii at the time, and we were taking road trips, and so we were going on a plane trip from, from Hawaii to the mainland. Back then, they didn't have movies on the flight, so you had nothing to do. So I, I pulled out the Bible and started reading, looked for the book of John, which in and of itself was a... You, you, you would have loved to have been there just to laugh at me trying to find the book of John. I thought it was going to be alphabetical. You know, Got to the book of what I thought was Job, and I thought, how interesting. They even tell you how to find work here in the Bible. It was Job. I know now. But I finally found John. And uh, I started to read. 
And it changed my life. In John chapter 1, verses 10 through 14, John writes, Our Lord Jesus Christ was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and yet the world did not know Him. In the 11th verse, it says, Jesus Christ came into His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. Now comes the great news. Verse 12, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in His name. That turned me around. Love the next verse. Those who were born, I didn't understand it at the time, but I'm getting a little better hold on it now. Verse 13 says, Those who were born not of blood, in other words, not by childbirth, nor of the will of the flesh, not by the things that you do to earn yourself to heaven, nor by the will of man. In other words, we can't make up our way to get to heaven. God has already paved that way for us. No, those who were born of God, it says. Next verse tells us how God made His way. The way for all of us. It says, And the Word, meaning His Son, became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. That's our Savior. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution or oppression, God tells us just how much He loves us. In 1 John 3, 1, He says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called the children of God. We're children of God, folks. So after our Lord was killed, buried, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, His enemies were unable to attack Jesus anymore. So... They started to assault those who believed and trusted in Him. Now, I want you to turn, if you would. Hold your place here in Peter. We might come back. It's not like, uh, it's just my habit of saying, hold your place in Peter. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts is to the left. If you get to the book of Romans where we were just recently, turn more to the left and find Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, it shows us how they attacked the apostles. In Acts chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3 proclaims, as they, talking about Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple guard, the Sadducees, in other words, the religious leaders of the day, came to them, came up to Peter and John. And they, the religious leaders, were greatly disturbed, it says in verse 2. Why? Well, because it says... They, Peter and John, were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus Christ the resurrection from the dead. In other words, they were proclaiming eternal life. So they, the religious leaders, laid hands on them. In other words, grabbed Peter, grabbed John, and put them in jail. I want you to stay here for a moment. Acts chapter 4. When they released Peter and John, they ordered them then not to preach any more about Jesus Christ, which led Peter and John to say what was, to me, some of the most magnificent words in all of Scripture. Look at verses 19 and 20. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. But we, verse 20, 
cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. I want you and me to be that type of people. People who will proclaim the wonders and the goodness of our Lord no matter what. But nothing intimidate us or stop us from being a light in this terrible dark world in which we now live. So Peter, if you'll go back to 1 Peter, penned this epistle. During that first great outbreak of persecution, what was begun by the insane emperor called Nero. Peter wrote 1 Peter after Paul wrote Romans, somewhere between 64 and 67 A.D. Both Peter and Paul were martyred. Tradition tells us that Peter, not feeling worthy to die as his Lord Jesus Christ died, they were going to crucify him, he pleaded that they would crucify him upside down so he wouldn't be crucified like his Lord. Before he died, Peter wrote this magnificent letter, this epistle. He wrote it so that you and I, who suffer to one degree or another, would come to understand the great comfort we have in Christ. Peter, at, his, at that time, was called an ignorant fisherman. The reason he was called that is because they thought he was a fisherman that knew nothing about spiritual matters. But Jesus Christ made Peter wise, made him the leader of the, of the apostles. If ever you read about the apostles, you'll see that Peter's name is right on or near the top. Peter, or Simon as he was called, and his brother Andrew ran a very successful fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. We'll see that in a moment. And Peter was at first very skeptical of Jesus Christ. And he was concerned about his worthiness to follow after him. That might hit some of you here this morning. Some of you might be wondering about this whole thing called Christianity. Some of you might be wondering, even if you do come to believe, are you worthy to walk with Christ? Well, you're in wonderful company if you do. All of us, all of us had skepticism at one time or another. Almost all of us, I'm sure, felt unworthy. I want you to read about this, though. Would you turn, hold your place again in Peter and turn back to Luke. Luke is um, Matthew, you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. It's a great story. This is kind of uh, Peter's uh, first real introduction to Jesus Christ. He was skeptical and he felt unworthy. Chapter 5 of Luke, verse 1. Now it came about that while the multitudes were pressing around Jesus, listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them. They were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats. It was Simon's. It was Peter's. He asked Peter to put out a little way from the land. And then Jesus Christ sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon in verse 4, Put out into the deep waters and let down your nets for a catch. Now, you've got to know, we're going to read it in a moment, but you've got to know, Peter had been fishing all night. 
Peter knew about fishing. And he's, he's now having the Lord tell him to go out and let's catch some fish. And he's been fishing all night and caught nothing. And I can almost hear him say, you may know how to preach, but I know how to fish. Don't tell me how to do my business. I won't tell you how to preach your lesson. But he went out anyways. Watch. Watch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and we've caught nothing. That's what he was thinking. Basically, I think, who are you to tell me to go out fish some more? But at your bidding, I'm going to let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that the boats began to sink. Folks, can you see? There's so much fish, they can't hold all the fish. When Simon Peter, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at the feet of Jesus and he said, Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. For amazement had seized him, verse 9, all of his companions because of the catch of fish that they had taken. And so James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with, with Simon, they were partners. I told you Peter was a successful businessman. These guys were his partners. And Jesus then said to Simon, Simon, don't fear. From now on, you're going to be catching men. <laughs> Wouldn't you love him to say that to you? Well, he has. He basically has said to you and me that we are to be a light into this world. We are to attract men and women, children, adults, young and old, to Christ. It says in the next verse, verse 11, look at it. When they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed Jesus. You talk about instant impact. These guys left a very successful business to follow after our Lord Jesus Christ and serve Him to become fishers of men instead of fishers of fish. When Peter met Jesus Christ, he was pretty impetuous. But eventually he became patient, strong. Jesus said to him in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I say to you, talking to Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of Haiti will not overpower it. Once you if you're, if you're in Matthew, are you in Matthew chapter 16? If you are, you can stay there or just listen closely. Listen. To think that Peter was the rock that Jesus Christ was going to build his church upon is foolish. Utterly foolish. Peter was not, as some would say, like the Catholic Church, that Peter is the first pope. No, he wasn't. Peter was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was a Christian. And he, he was one of the apostles that led people to Christ and taught and preached the Word of God. They weren't supposed to start another movement. They would start the church that our Lord wanted them to establish, the Christian church, whatever it would be called, people who came to worship Jesus Christ. To think that Peter is the rock that church is built upon is foolhardy. Because shortly after Jesus Christ said this to Peter, 
where he said, You're Peter, upon this rock, meaning upon himself, Jesus, I'm going to build my church. The gates of Haiti will not overpower it. Right shortly after that incident, our Lord started to tell the disciples about himself. He said he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Messiah. Don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. Not yet. Then in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 16, from that time our Lord started to show the disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to suffer. He was going to be killed. He was going to be raised up on the third day. The next verse, verse 22, you won't believe what takes place. Peter took Jesus Christ aside and began to rebuke him. Can you even imagine? He rebuked him and said to him, God forbid, this will never happen to you. What's with Peter? Telling our Lord that? In verse 23, Jesus Christ turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man, our Lord basically is saying, Peter, what are you doing trying to lead? I'm leading. You follow. Follow me. He's not the rock on which the church is built upon. This church is built upon Jesus Christ and He alone. No man, nobody, Jesus Christ. And that is what our church is built upon. You see, if you turn back to, uh, to Peter, please, with me. Peter is a rock. That's true. That's what his name indicates. He is a rock just as all of us are rocks. We are all to build our lives. We are all to build this church upon the true foundation, which is Jesus Christ, the true and only rock upon whom our lives and our church is to be built upon. You and me. In fact, here in 1 Peter... Peter made that very clear. He made it clear that Jesus Christ is the only true rock. He is the cornerstone upon which the church is built. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 5 with me, please. Peter says, You also, in other words, you along with me, you also are living stones. In other words, like a rock, we are living stones. And we are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices which is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The cornerstone isn't Peter. It's Christ. Look at the second, next verse, verse 6. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, And the person who believes in Him will not be disappointed. That, of course, is not Peter. That, of course, is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of this church, of any church, of all churches that opens its doors. Whatever they might call it by name, they ought to worship Jesus Christ with all of their hearts and all of their souls and all of their strength and lift Him up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, Nobody can build a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And I add to Paul's statement, period. That's it. He is the cornerstone. So Peter's purpose in writing 1 Peter is that you and I would stand firm. I asked you to go back to 1 Peter, did I not? If, not, if you have your Bibles open to it, I want you to turn there one more time. I'm going to turn you and me to a place that we'll probably look at often. It's in chapter 5. 
Peter is begging for you and me to stand firm in our grace of God. In the face of escalating persecution or trials or difficulties or whatever it is that you and I might be going through, we are to stand firm. Chapter 5, 1 Peter, verse 12. Through Salvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. But this is what I wanted you to read. Look, Peter writes, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter reminds us of the sure hope that we have in the grace of our God, in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And through the midst of your trials and through the midst of any suffering that we might do, he is saying to you and me, stand firm in the true grace of God. Peter wanted you and me to live triumphantly in the midst of hostility. He didn't want us to abandon our hope. He didn't want us to become bitter or, God forbid, lose faith in Christ through any difficulties we might go through. Peter is called the Apostle of Hope. Paul is called the Apostle of Faith. John is called the Apostle of Love. Faith, hope, love. This epistle, 1 Peter, puts a great emphasis upon the hope that you and I have through the difficulties that we might be going through. Therefore, I believe it's very fair to say that Peter's theme for this book that we are about to journey into next week is hope. Hope in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials. You might not be going through any troubles right now. Praise God. You need to be the hope that those of us who are going through difficulties stand upon. You need to encourage. But hold firm. Stand firm. Sooner or later, you too will need our help. We'll all go through difficulties. It's part of our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. You see, the, the TV preachers, to grab a a multitude of people will tell you with enough faith you can accomplish almost anything. With enough faith you'll have enough money. With enough faith you'll get your job back. With enough faith you'll get well. You'll be cured. You'll be healed. You'll be, you name it. It's all a pack of lies. Not, not that our Lord can't do any and all of that. But it's not with enough faith. You and I have faith. We have all the faith that we need when we come to Christ as our Savior. What we need is His truth. We need to understand what we believe in. We need to handle accurately the word of truth. That's what we want to do here at this church. We want to kind of take you and me on that journey of understanding the word of God and falling deeply, madly, just so in love with our Lord and Savior. We want that for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this day. What a, what a, what a blessing, Father. You've uh, given us so much. We have much to be thankful for. But I know there's some of us here that are going through deep waters, Father. I pray that the study of this book will help. Will help comfort us. That Peter will be able to bring about a comfort within our lives. For those who are not, Father, who, 
We're going through wonderful times right now. Praise God. Thank you, Father, for that. We need to thank you. For those of us that are not, we need the comfort that Peter will bring us. So, Lord, thank you for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen.